This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. That's right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the November 6th edition of Five on Three. I am your host today, Matt Cosentini. I'm joined by Dom Muscarella, Jackson Heil, and Nick Lehman producing back in the booth. So, guys, we got a lot to get to today. It was another big week in hockey, some big news coming out. We're going to get to the locals a little bit later and then talk about some teams that are kind of on the downswing right now. But we got to get to the biggest news of the week right now. It almost happened on Friday, but yesterday, Matt Duchesne has finally been traded from the Colorado Avalanche. He's going to Ottawa in a big three-team trade. We'll get into the details a little bit later. But this is massive. He's been talked about getting traded for almost two years now. What do you guys think? been a long time coming been two years the whole laundry list of teams been involved in the will they or won't they get Matt Duchesne I know a couple of the local teams were in there at some point I know definitely the Islanders were maybe even the Rangers so it's been a long time coming for Matt Duchesne it's been a weird situation in Colorado too to be around all of those trade rumors for a long period of time especially with a player of Duchesne's caliber on a roster of the Avalanche's not caliber there the roster around him just ha- simply hasn't been very good Duchesne's been a great player his career they've had some other good players you know they've had Nathan McKinnon who struggled a little bit in a couple of his uh like previous seasons Gabriel Landeskog has always been another one of their great players he might even be on the trading block this season as well now that Duchesne is actually out so it'll be a different avalanche team and you know pretty big shakeup for the NHL overall yeah and I think you have to give a lot of credit to Joe Sackick because he's taken a ton of heat over this two-year process that you mentioned where Duchesne has asked for a trade and has been on that trade block. But, I mean, you look at the haul he got. He got three different prospects that you could just load over, especially Samuel Girard from Nashville. And he also gets three picks in the process as well. So he said that he was looking for a specific package and he wasn't going to move off it until he got it, and that's exactly what he got. So you have to be happy with that if you're an Avalanche Yeah, fan. and you started talking about the Hall, so we'll get into the details here. So Matt Duchesne goes to Ottawa, and Ottawa sends Colorado. Goalie Andrew Hammond, their 2018 first-rounder, 2019 third-rounder, and their first pick from this previous year's draft, Shane Bowers. And then on top of this, we also mentioned Nashville in this trade. So Ottawa is sending forward Kyle Turris to the Predators, and Nashville, meanwhile, is sending a 2018 second-round pick their top defensive prospect, as Jackson mentioned, mentioned uh, Samuel Gerard, as well as Vladislav Kamenev, a forward, back to Colorado. So Sakic got the haul he wanted. He he the entire time he said, "I'm not trading Duchesne for anything less than exactly what I want." And this is definitely something that he wanted. He has guys that are now going to be a part of this team for the future, guys that can be big names for this team, and. It also just allows Matt Duchesne to kind of start his career over. He's going to be revitalized playing for a cup-contending team like Ottawa, and you might see him get back to that season where he put up 61 points in 70 games or something like that, some ridiculous number. But kind of moving away from Colorado now, now let's look at it from these other team standpoints. Ottawa got who should be a top center in the league right now, in Duchesne, and he might, he's, right now he's set to slot behind Derek Broussard on that second line. He's probably going to get some power play time in there around some some points. But what does this mean for Ottawa going forward? I mean, 
from Ottawa's standpoint, I really am not exactly sure what Pierre Dorian is thinking. I mean, obviously they go to the conference final last year and they seem to be have pushed all their chips into the center of the table. But in my opinion, I mean, you look at Kyle Turris, that's the guy they got rid of. He was a 56-point player last year, which was 15 more points than Duchesne had last year. Obviously, completely different situations. But in my mind, was was it worth giving up a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and their first-round pick from last year in Shane Bowers for a minimal upgrade, you could say, at center? Because you look at Turris, I mean, he's been a really quality player for them. He's provided depth down the middle, and he's much superior on the power play than Duchesne is. So I don't really like this move from Ottawa's standpoint. I don't know about you, Dom. I think when the first trade first came out, the details started to trickle out. I, it was kind of hard for me to kind of find a loser in this trade, but I do think if we have to choose one, I think Ottawa is that team, especially because they only will have Duchesne for the season and a half that he's still under contract, whereas the Predators very quickly signed Turris to that six-year extension, which is good for them. That way they actually have something in the long term, if they're going to give away all of these long-term assets like both of these two teams did, they have something to show for it in terms of a longer period of time. Like you said before, the the uh, Ottawa Senators are going for something they can look for for a long time, a Stanley Cup. S so with Duchesne's last year and a half, they'll be looking to get there. One of my problems with that is nobody really expected them to get as far as they did last year, and at times they didn't look super good in the playoffs. They got lucky, I they, thought, to get I, all the way to the I think they got a little bit lucky, too. It took a, f a couple of really, really subpar games by, you know, a couple of the teams they played. I know the Rangers didn't give them their best in that series. And then they kind of got as far as they did. But did you not see their series against Pittsburgh as they they were meant to be there? Because they took them I think so. all the way to the brink. They I, mean, looked... I also, not to butt in, mm -hmm. but I also think it's fair to say that Pittsburgh got pretty lucky to not to not obviously they won the cup and they probably did deserve it but I mean they were tremendously outshot in, in all their series and I thought Washington really you look at games one through four what Pittsburgh kind of did dominate that series but the last when Washington went down 3-1 in that series they kind of took over that series and Pittsburgh was lucky to escape you could say but. Senators thus far this year have gotten pretty lucky with overtime losses too. If they've if they lose a couple of those overtime games in regulation, of course you could say vice versa if they win them in overtime. But they've got a, a they they're a little sneakily in the position they are right now. A couple of things could have broken another way, and they could be you know a lot lower in the standings right now. Which again, like I said, they could be a lot higher if those games ended up being wins. I'm saying that the Senators have had between this season and last season, I do think they've gotten pretty lucky to be in a position where they can be viewed as one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. They haven't been as dominant this year as teams like Tampa Bay, and they hadn't been as dominant last year as teams like those ones that have hung around forever, like the Capitals of the world. Yeah, so this is this is obviously a landscaping-changing kind of move for both divisions, both sides of the conferences, but... Now we're kind of going to come back and localize everything. So these New Jersey Devils, huh? Oh, what is going on here? They are off to the best start in team history. I'm obviously very excited. <laughs> but they, they, they came off the, the, short, the um, shootout loss to uh, Calgary last night on their Western Canadian road trip. They lost a tough game against Edmonton. So 
throughout this season, they've shown that they can beat the competition they're supposed to beat. They even surprised a few teams that no one really thought they were going to be, a la Toronto and Tampa Bay. But they have struggled against better competition, a la Washington and Edmonton, who is down this year but does have the talent where they should be one of the best teams in the league. So is this really sustainable for this team? Can they continue on the best start in team history, continue leading the Metro ahead of teams like Pittsburgh, Washington, and the Rangers? I mean, I think it's a pretty obvious no because, I mean, you look at their – there's a number called PDO, which kind of measures shot percentage and save percentage. They rank second in the league in that number, which basically shows tells me that their start really isn't sustainable. I mean, you look at their last two games, I kind of think that shows the bigger, the better picture of what this Devils team is. They've allowed 11 goals against Edmonton and then Calgary last night. They allowed five. So it's kind of been the Western Canada trip is a difficult journey no matter who you are especially when you're coming from the East Coast. But I think that they're the defensively, they're not very strong, and I think they've kind of gotten lucky. Although Corey Schneider's allowing over three goals a game thus far to start the year, he's saving shots at a 90, 91.5%. Yeah, that shutout so, against Vancouver. Exactly, and that kind of shows you that this defense really hasn't done its job, and Schneider's kind of held them up above water while... Their goal scoring, although has been really good with Jesper Bratt and Taylor Hall getting going as well, it's just something that isn't sustainable over an 82-game season. Right. I feel like I'm back here every week kind of saying the same things about the Devils, waiting for them to finally regress, and then they don't. <laughs> they haven't had, it hasn't happened yet. And I'm like, man, I, I just have to stick to my guns here. You know, Like Jackson said, you've got the signs that they should regress in terms of you know the defense kind of just allowing Corey Schneider to – do his job and Corey Schneider has done his job unlike last year he's been very good and bailed out that defense like he wasn't able to do last year is he able to do that for the entirety of the season Schneider's a good goaltender but is he good enough to bail out this defense the other one too in their shot metrics you know league average this year about nine and a half percent devils at 12 percent way over league average so that's something I said last week as well that probably isn't going to be super sustainable for them but right now, you know, they just finished a tough road trip going 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Again, just a three-game sample size. But that's a solid showing on the Western Canada road trip. I feel like trip. getting three out of six points is a pretty good trip out I there. think it is because, again, it's three road games and three game road games far away. So they beat Vancouver, who, had the good, who was having the good start, lost to Edmonton, and then had the overtime or the shootout loss in Calgary. So... I would take 1-1-1 one, one, and one from even a, any contending team on a three-game Western Canada road trip. Yeah, and you were mentioning about this team from last year and how Corey Schneider wasn't able to bail the team out. Something that they're doing this year that they haven't done in year past is they're scoring a lot. They've always been known as this really low-scoring team, but this year they're getting a lot of scoring from a lot of different people. And right now it looks like Taylor Hall is on fire and he's finally turning into the guy that he was supposed to be last year that they didn't really see. He's got five goals, 12 assists, 13 games played already. So he's on fire. You have guys scoring from out of nowhere like Brian Gibbons. We were talking about it before the show went on the air. He's one of the leading scorers on the team. So there's a lot of depth scoring right now that just wasn't expected. And I'm not sure if it's possible to sustain. I mean, I've talked about this a lot on this show. They've gotten off to hot starts before, and then the bottom has just completely come out. But maybe this year's different. Maybe the guys are actually buying into what John Hines and Ray Shearer have been trying to do. But we'll just have to wait and see on them, like like with any team right now. But getting to a team that is most definitely on the come-up is the New York Rangers. 
They're on a three-game winning streak, and it's looking like they are coming back from their little bit of a sluggish start. They've made some line changes. They threw Pavel Bushnevich up on the first line with uh, Zibanejad, and that's really looking like it's coming together for them. Yeah, I that's been one of the better lines that in all of hockey this year. I mean, if you look at it, Kreider has gotten off to a slow start, but he started to score some goals of late. Zibanejad obviously has had a really hot start to the season, and he's been sensational for them. And Bucinevich, I mean, it's kind of been a matter of when he was going to get put on that top line because he showed this year that he can perform at a high level. And you look at last year, they started the year with Kreider and Zibanejad as well, and they were red hot until Bucinevich did get hurt as well as Kreider. But, I mean, you look at this team, I mean, they lead the league right now in high danger chances, which kind of shows that they started off slow in terms of scoring five on five as well, but the chances have certainly been there. And with a Rangers team that kind of was marked as they were going to struggle scoring, that certainly hasn't been the case. It's actually been the exact opposite, and the defense has been the exact issue. They're second in high danger chances against this year, which is ironic considering they signed Brendan Smith in the offseason, who has been really bad for them to start the season. And Kevin Shattenkirk, who has been done a really nice job. He's got 13 points in 15 games, but he has struggled in his own zone. So it's been a problem for them defensively, and they haven't really given much of a shot to Henrik Lundqvist. But as you mentioned, these last three games, they've kind of shown that they can play at a high level. Obviously, the Vegas win wasn't all that impressive given the start of those first two periods. They were down 4-2. But the Tampa win is very impressive given you go into Tampa Bay, which has been the best team in hockey lately, and win a game there. And then also the Florida win's impressive. Tonight's a big test for them in Columbus because they've had trouble playing against Tortorella-led teams. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare there. Right. This team, you know, the defense is always going to be the thing, or at least now, and we kind of circled that at the beginning of the season, that along with Lundqvist and the center depth going into the year, where a couple of the things I circled for the Rangers. Of course, now they're starting to decide to get that scoring from, you know, the top lines and so on and so forth, which is helping them out. But I'm still not super high on this defense. You do have the guys, you know, like the Shattenkirks, who it's very good that they've started to turn it on offensively because they need to because Shattenkirk just isn't going to be able to supply the, the good defense that you normally expect from, you know, a, a top defense pair. But... In terms of Lundqvist, he's been playing a little bit better of late, too. Of course, they Absolutely. had they had the, the Tampa Bay win, which was as important a win as you can possibly have for the Rangers. Tough Tampa Bay team, you know, top of the Eastern Conference right now. Go in there, win in overtime, allow just one goal in the process. They only scored one, but playing a team like that tough shows that this Rangers team isn't willing to die right now. It shows that the team actually has some resolve in that in the midst of, you know, they came off that Vegas win, which is important, too, the way they won that game down 4-2 and then scoring the four consecutive goals so that and then to be able to carry that into the best team in the Eastern Conference and win shows a lot about this team and its character going forward so we've been talking about this Rangers defense for what it seems like weeks now they've they eventually made that line change moving Kevin Shattenkirk away from Ryan McDonough and putting him on the line with Brady Shea I don't know if that's the right line combination either. I mean, those are two offensive defensemen that aren't really good on the defensive side of the puck. And we've talked about Kevin Shattenkirk kind of being a liability on the defensive side with his decision-making not always being the best. So you're looking at the lines of Ryan McDonough paired with Nick Holden and Brady Shea with Kevin Shattenkirk, those top, that top four defensive pairing. What really needs to change on that? Does, do they need to make more changes or do they just need to simply play better? 
I mean, you could say the personnel has been an issue, obviously. I mean, Nick Holden and Ryan McDonough has been the pairing the last few games. That's not something that we should expect to see in the future, especially given how shaky we saw Nick Holden was last year in the playoff series, most notably against Montreal. But I think, honestly, this is more of an X and an O's situation. This Rangers defensive corps, led by Lindy Ruff, they've kind of gotten really passive in the neutral zone, and that's been a main problem for them, how teams have just been able to enter the zone quickly and easily off them, and then when they dump the puck and they've had trouble handling the forecheck. So that's been my main takeaway from this start for the Rangers defensively. Obviously, the personnel's there. I mean, when you have a top four that's supposed to consist of Kevin Shattenkirk, Ryan McDonough, Brady Shea, and Brendan Smith, there's really not many flaws in that top four. They just haven't really performed to par. Brendan Smith, as I mentioned before, has really struggled early on. He's been probably one of their worst defensemen, and I give Vigneault credit because he's taken a lot of heat from some of the personnel decisions he's made. Nick Holden has stepped up when he's been in the lineup, in my opinion, and Brendan Smith just simply has has not early on, and that's a move that's been critiqued early on, but it's something that I like, and you have to give Vigneault credit in these last few games making adjustments defensively. So kind of moving on to the Islanders now, the other side of New York. This team has been on fire. I know that I personally on this show have been calling them just a middling team, kind of just waiting to see what happens if they finally move John Tavares. But right now, that's looking like it's not going to happen. 8-2-0 in their last 10 games, and that top line right now looks like one of the best top lines in hockey with Anders Lee, Josh Bailey, and John Tavares. I'm I'm very impressed by what they're doing right now. I know they've been having some goaltending issues with Thomas Grice not really playing up to par and eventually losing the starting gig to... Yaroslav Halak, but I'm very impressed with what this team's been doing right now. The top line has been incredible, but the number one thing for me alongside that top line has been the emergence of Matthew Barzell and opening up the options for the Islanders in that sense. They brought in Jordan Eberle over the offseason to be that stud winger for John Tavares and be the guy to finally allow Tavares to have a competent guy on his wing. You know, Anders Lee kind of emerged in the past couple of seasons, but they wanted to have a more complete line, so they brought in Eberly. Eberly hasn't played with John Tavares all that much this season because of the fact that Matthew Barzell has been so good. This last game against Colorado, they won 6-4. to Barzell had five assists. He's had some great games individually against the Rangers and a couple of games after that, and he's made it impossible for Doug Waite, who's always been a little bit, or at least not always because he hasn't been an Islanders coach for too long, but in the time that he has been, He's been a little bit gun-shy in terms of playing rookies. It took a lot for Ryan Pollock to get in the lineup consistently, and even for Beauvillier at the beginning of last season, and then Barzell didn't play much at all. Even They didn't even have the have him finish out the eight or so games that you're allowed and to play sent down Josh before Hosang. you send him out. They already sent down Josh Hosang, like you said. That, so, that just, I'm sorry to interject, but that the Hosang deal just makes no sense to me. Right. I mean, he was... It's not like he was even playing bad when he was up here. I mean, he's so talented. He has so much speed, great hands as well. It just doesn't make much sense to me why they sent him down. And also, Dom, I want to ask you this because Josh Bailey, I mean, he's always been a guy I feel like has gotten unfairly criticized as an Islander. And he had a really good year last year, and he's off to a really 
hot start? Do you think he's gotten like a bad rap, so to speak? And I feel like it's kind of been undeserved. I think at times Josh Bailey definitely does. I think the way he plays and the way he came on, he came on as a player that a lot of people thought would be quite good. And he turned out to be a little disappointing and then turns it on at the end of every season. That trend is kind of broken in the past few, but it's left fans frustrated because they know there might be something more there. Like he's not a guy who's been like a, you know, a bottom, you know, bottom six guy who they've come to expect nothing of he's a guy that fans initially thought was going to be a guy who could contribute pretty well as you know a a middle six forward at least and then he kind of hadn't recently I do think his success is is a bit of a product of an improving Islanders team around him because on the teams that weren't so good he was there and he didn't perform you know up to par but I do think he does get a bit of a bad rap at times I do think he's a perfectly serviceable player for for Doug Waite especially on Tavares's wing where his I think he's a decent passer as well where his passing skills helps play with John Tavares too right of course that always helps but I think the big thing with the Islanders has been they finally found a second line that can score. I mean, that's been a problem for them at outside of that John Tavares trio that's been playing the first line. This year it's been Andrew Ladd, Matthew Barzell, and Jordan Eberle, as you mentioned. Barzell, five assists last night against Colorado. I mean, his speed down the middle just makes a ton, a huge difference because it opens up plays for Jordan Eberle. And it opens up plays for the D in transition as well. It's just been huge for them. Can this team? Do you see this team as a playoff team? I think I think it definitely can reach the playoffs. It's been weird because this Metro division has definitely underperformed in some areas. Teams like Washington and the Rangers and Carolina have all looked very shaky at times. They've had streaks where they've looked all right, and then you've got some surprise teams at the top, like New Jersey, and you're kind of looking and saying you're waiting for them to fall and see what happens from there. And then even the teams that are in playoff spots, like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's goal differential is still in the negatives, which is amazing to me, considering how good they've been and how good Matt Murray has been throughout his very very short career. But you talking about a minus sixteen goal differential for a two time back to back Stanley Cup champion is out of this world to me. They've played some brutal games in back-to-backs. Like, their back-to-back record has been one of the things that's been thrown around narratives. Whether you want to look at that and say it's important or not is, is you know... It's shown to- that these guys might not be in the best shape, honestly. That's fair. Is, is- and that, But that's also a fair criticism, given that they've made two Stanley Cup runs in their the last two seasons. They're going to tire out at some point. I mean, I think if you look at the 2015-2016 season for the Rangers, they made deep runs in the last five consecutive seasons, and they just looked worn out towards the end of the season. And that's definitely something I think we could be seeing from Pittsburgh. Playing high-level, high-stress hockey for essentially three straight years definitely takes a toll on people. And these guys aren't getting any younger. I mean, so you're very right. The Metro Division is a very strange, strange land right now. And you started to mention some teams that were not looking so great. That's actually a really good transition to do our, our next segment here. What there have been some good teams that just aren't playing well right now. So, what better time to talk about it than right now? Dom, who do you see as a team that is just really underperforming right now? So I'll probably go with one of those three teams I just mentioned. I think the Carolina Hurricanes are a team that not many people expected to be dominant, but a lot of people ex- were, they were a surprise playoff pick in this Metro Division. They haven't been terrible. I think they've played twelve games and have eleven points. If I can check that really quickly, that is the case. So they've been around 500. They haven't been too bad, but I think the what's happened early on in the season has kind of been odd. 
They don't have a single player with double-digit points yet. Jeff Skinner and Justin Williams lead the team with nine points each. So that's not good to not have a single scorer at ten points. And I kind of went to bat for Jeff Skinner on our season preview show, so... And Scott Darling has been like, okay, he was supposed to be their solution to their, you know, Cam Ward problems at goal. And Cam Ward's made three starts, and in those three starts, has been better than Scott Darling has. So it's it's a weird team. There's been talks about potentially a coaching change, which is weird because they haven't really bottomed out yet. It's not a typical situation where you'd see, you know, the Islanders fired Capuano last year when they were at the bottom of the conference. Carolina is kind of middling right now. But again, they went into the season with some expectations, and they haven't really gotten a whole much, and then a lot of indicators that things might actually get worse before they get better. Yeah, and I, I think making a coaching change in Carolina would be a mistake. I mean, I, they have some of the better shot rates in the entire NHL, and they get a lot of high-danger chances, but they're only shooting under 6 7% thus far. And like you mentioned, Darling hasn't been exactly that guy that they've expected him to be. That defense, you look at it with Justin Falk and Jacob Slavin as well, those two alone can just carry that D. And I think that eventually the scoring will come around. I think you just have to be patient. You look, three overtime losses already. I mean, you turn those into wins, and it's a completely different story right now. So that's something I would expect them to get better going forward. It's not a huge deal. Yeah, and you're talking about the defense. You didn't even mention Noah Hannafin among a handful of other young players like Sebastian Ajo, and you were talking about Jeff Skinner. So this is just a team that needs time to develop their young players because you can't just fire a coach because a team that was supposed to have good expectations isn't really performing. I mean, I guess that's what usually happens. But it's just a team that has to start growing more and just playing better. Jackson, who do you see as as an underperformer right now? I mean... You have to look at Edmonton, and I'm not really all that concerned with them. I mean, they're 4-8-1. and one. It's obviously a disappointing start to the season, but like I mentioned, their, sh- their shot rates are very, very good at the top of the league, and they haven't exactly gotten the goaltending from Cam Talbot right now, which is something that they didn't really expect going to the season. I mean, obviously, he could have a rusty start given how many games he played last year. I think he led the NHL in games started in in the net last year, and also they went on a relatively decent playoff run. But, listen, a team with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl isn't going to dry up scoring like this for this long. I mean, you look at their shooting percentage, they're shooting 5.4%, which is, I think that's the lowest in the league right now. It's got to be. Which, it, right? I mean, it has that's to pretty be. Bad. When you shoot that low, and they're also, I believe they're third in the league in high-danger chances, which... Kind of goes to show they they just get really gotten unlucky thus far, and that's something that's definitely going to change going forward. I wouldn't be too concerned. Yeah, about and it them. definitely didn't help having Drysaddle be out for a round of three weeks, close to a month. But it's definitely a team that needs to start playing better because they came in with Stanley Cup aspirations, and they are just definitely not playing like that right now. So something definitely has to change. And myself personally, I'm going to go with the Minnesota Wild. I don't really know what to make of this team. I mean, they looked pretty good last year in the in the sampling that they had. They made that kind of a, a deep playoff run, not really. And they came in with similar expectations this year with um, Devin Dubnik in net, supposed to be a, a uh, Vesna contender. But I think what people aren't talking enough about with this team is that when they traded Jason Pominville, they really lost a goal scorer and just a facilitator on offense and they really got fleeced. They're not getting a lot of help from anywhere, really. You were mentioning with Carolina not having anyone in double-digit points. Same with Minnesota. Jared Spurgeon's currently leading the team with nine, and he's not even their top goal scorer. That's Chris Stewart. He's a defenseman, too. That's... Yeah, exactly. It's never good when a defenseman is exactly. your leading scorer. 
So something definitely needs to change with this team. I mean, another team I look at also is Montreal. I mean, yeah, something is- something has to be wrong with Carey Price. I'm not sure if it's mm-hmm. a, a talk about him getting traded they or if he's hurt. Hope. So he better really turn it around. Yeah, and that's been obviously the main issue with them. I mean, you, the all class goaltender, uh, one of the best goalies in the entire world, probably the best, has performed like one of the worst thus far. And obviously their offense has contributed much, much more of late. But that's a team I also expect to get going as well. Well, that's all we got for today, everyone. I Thanks for listening. And for Dom Muscarello, Jackson Heil, and Nick Lehman doing a really good job back in the, in the studio, I'm Matt Cosentini for 5 on 3.